Okay, so open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We are going to continue a series as told by a scoundrel. This is a series through the Gospel of Matthew, written by Matthew, who was a bit of a scoundrel. He was a tax collector. He had uh, the sh- kind of a shady reputation at that time until he encountered Jesus, and his life was also flipped upside down by Jesus. And, and then Matthew later wrote a, an account of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, what it means for you and I, a bunch of encounters that Jesus had with people, and we are studying those encounters right now. As of late, we have been in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12 has been our focus for the last couple weeks. This is the third and final week that we are focusing on this passage. The Beatitudes is where Jesus says, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. The word blessed comes from the root that means uh, happy ones. Those who are blessed, happy by God. And so the focus of today, actually let me give a quick recap. Two weeks ago we talked about how God wants you blessed and we shouldn't feel guilty for wanting to be blessed. We shouldn't feel guilty for wanting to be happy. In fact, God wired us that way. But that blessing comes in ways that are contradictory to the way that the world promises happiness. And we have to trust him in that. Last week, Dr. Tom Sargent did a phenomenal sermon. I haven't had that much feedback about a sermon in a long time, including my own, um, where he talked about, (laughs) it's a good thing. I'm not fishing for no compliments. That's a good thing for Tom. Um, We won't live in the blessing of the kingdom of God if we are constantly pursuing the kingdom of self. That was last week. He he zeroed in on the first four Beatitudes in that passage. Today, we're going to focus in on the last four Beatitudes in that passage. And what we're going to talk about is happy are those who are free to love because they're not so dang needy. (laughs) Raise your hand if you would call yourself a needy person. Some people are like, yeah, 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 okay. I applaud your honesty. Sometimes we just want to call other people needy. But it's good if we can admit that, yeah, I can be needy too. Maybe it's because of material or financial situations that we find ourselves in a lot and we're needy for help in that way. Sometimes we're emotionally needy, always needing to vent or complain about something and we call somebody and the friend's like, oh, here we go again. We're always asking for advice, for decisions. Can't you make your own decisions? So we can call other people needy. Sometimes we can admit we're needy, but I believe Jesus wants to free us from a lot of the neediness that we are enslaved to. And in so doing, it frees us to love each other, to love God, and to live the blessed life that he purchased for us. That's what we're going to talk about today. That the blessing comes. Happy are those who are free to love because they're not so dang needy. So we're going to focus in on the last four Beatitudes in that passage in Matthew. Let's read it now, and then we'll start to work through it slowly. So starting in verse 7 of chapter 5, Blessed are the, are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So that's the passage we're going to be looking at. Um, A a reminder about this passage. Jesus is giving us characteristics of the kingdom of God. Characteristics of himself. This is what it means to be in the kingdom of God. 
This is what it means to belong to the kingdom of God. What Jesus is not doing is saying, you earn your way into the kingdom by being merciful. He's not saying that. He's not saying you earn your way into the kingdom by being pure in heart because none of us are naturally pure in heart or merciful or any of those things. He's saying these are characteristics of those who are in the kingdom. These are marks of those who are in the kingdom. These are marks of the blessed ones, the heavy ones. They are merciful. They are pure in heart. They are peacemakers. They're persecuted for righteousness and they can rejoice in that. And, and, and so maybe some of you might be asking, well, how do, how do you get into the kingdom of God? How do you become a child of God? And that goes back to the very first beatitude that we talked about, being poor in spirit, being poor in spirit, recognizing that we are not up to par with God's standard. We don't measure up. We don't have these character traits of the kingdom of God. And it should leave us going, oh, no, what do I do? I can't clean myself up. I can't, I can't humble myself enough to measure up. What do I do? And in, in, in that response is a poor in spirit response. We recognize our pridefulness or our pride and our rebelliousness. And we recognize that in us. And we fall to our knees and say, Jesus, who can help me? And Jesus says, I can. That's why I came to live a perfect life in your place. That's why I came to die the death that you deserve. That's why I rose again. So that you can be born again by my spirit. And then I can mold and shape you into my image, into these characteristics. So being poor in spirit is recognizing our spiritual need for him to save us. And, and that's when we enter the kingdom and that's when he goes to work growing us in these characteristics. Now, you might be thinking, well, you just said neediness is bad and he wants to free us from that. And now you're saying neediness is good. By being poor in spirit, we're recognizing our spiritual need. So I would put it like this. Those who recognize their spiritual neediness are freed from smaller neediness. They get freed from the trivial neediness, the other neediness that we're enslaved to when we can recognize our spiritual neediness. So let's start to break this down and go through these last four Beatitudes one at a time. Okay? Number, uh, or sorry, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. What does it mean to be merciful? This has to do with having a heart of compassion for people who are struggling, who are stuck, who are sinning in ways that maybe rub against us and offend us and bother us, but we can have more compassion on them than we are offended by them because of a merciful heart towards them. Now, when we are not part of God's kingdom, the natural response is to just be offended at everybody, bothered by every issue that everybody's got, right? But when we're a child of God, when we have Jesus' spirit living in us, he wants to grow us in this compassionate heart where, where we can go, you know what, I'm, I'm, more, I'm more concerned about you than I am bothered by how your sin affects me. You ever meet a homeless person on the street who you can tell is an addict and you have compassion on them and you feel pity? And then you go home and have to deal with a family member who has an addiction and you're more angry than, than feel sorry for them? Because usually when somebody's stuck in a sin issue and they live in close proximity to us, their sin is a threat to our rights. So we have a tendency to get a little upset about that. Jesus wants to birth in us this compassionate heart. Ah, sorry. We, we want to pray, God, they're stuck in something. They're stuck in something. Help them. 
rather than how dare they sin against me. Don't blah, 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 blah. That's us clinging to our rights. Also, another side to the merciful coin is having a compassionate heart for people who are oppressed or suffering an injustice and, and, and who we want, to, we want to help them and we have every right not to help them because it's none of our business. Jesus once told the story of the Good Samaritan. You ever hear this parable? In Luke chapter 10, it's a story of a, of a man, a Jewish man, on the road and he's, he's, he's attacked by robbers. They beat him up and they assault him and they take his stuff and they, they bounce. And then along comes the priest and the priest kind of sees him and says, like, ah, Keeps going. He's, he's, got, he's got life to live. He's got stuff to do. Temple worker comes, sees a guy on the road, keeps going. And then a Samaritan comes along. And Samaritans were despised by the Jews at the time. There was ethnic and racial tension between the two groups. And so this Samaritan comes along. And he had every right to keep going. There was no legal obligation for him to stop. There was no cultural obligation for him to stop. So he could have just said, ah, man, in my business, his Jewish fell in front, you know, Friends should help him out. But he stopped, and he bandaged the guy up, and he put him on his donkey, and he took him to an inn. And then he did kind of an unreasonable thing. He, he paid the innkeeper and said, you take care of this guy as long as he needs. I'll, I'll pay for his stay. That's a heart of compassion. Jesus actually ended that parable by saying this to the, to the expert in the law who was asking him what love was. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So mercy, the biblical picture of mercy is, on one hand, being quick to forgive those whose sins bother us and who, who offend us and, 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 and who have hurt us. But on the other hand, it's also just having a heart of compassion for people who are, are suffering and stuck. And, and we, have a, we have a right to go, man, I got, I got enough drama on my own. I can't deal with you right now. He's like, no, you, 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 you move towards them. You move towards them. You get in the, into the, the muck and the mire with them. Because that's what Jesus did for us, right? He, he, he was moved by a heart of compassion for you and I who were stuck. And he had every right to say, nah, I can't deal with them. And he moved towards us. He stepped into humanity for us. It's a merciful heart. And when we belong to him, we're going to share that merciful heart. But here's what it costs us. It costs us our rights. It costs us our right to get even. It costs us our right to hold a grudge. It costs us our right to slander them or gossip about people who have hurt us. It costs us our right to keep moving like the Samaritan had every right to do. And say, I can't busy myself with the plight of others right now. I mean, think about it. How many of us would put up a total stranger at Motel 6 and tell the guy, hey, just cut, tabs on me as long as he needs it? How many of us would do that? We, it's unreasonable. It's illogical. We would say, no, you get taken advantage of doing that. That's naive. Right? We, we, we have these justifications in our head. We have every right not to do something like that. And Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are not so needy for their rights. They, they don't have to demand their rights all the time. I mean, think about how blessed you would be if you didn't feel the need to get even, if you didn't feel the need to point out when somebody disrespects you. How free would you be if you don't have to demand your rights at every turn? The world says you will be happy if you get your rights, if you get what's coming, you know, you're, what you're entitled to. And Jesus says, blessed are those who don't need that. How exhausting is that? Blessed are those who don't need that. Let's keep going. Next one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This has to do with a heart that is solely focused on loving God without distractions. 
pulling at them, pulling them away, enticing them. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Undivided love for the Lord your God. But you and I have a tendency to love other things too. You and I have a tendency to say, I want to love God, but I also love money. I also love the approval of people. And we get pulled away in different directions. And the Apostle James will call that uh, having a divided heart, having an adulterous heart. And he's going to say that that's the opposite of a pure heart. Let me show you in James 4. He says, James 4 verse 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? He's like, don't, don't you know that trying to love God and trying to love the world at the same time is actually make, putting you at enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, you might say, well, that's kind of extreme. Why can't you just love God and love, you know, other things at the same time? Think about it like this. If I said to my wife, who's home with a sick child, by the way, she's not here today. If I said to my wife, I want to marry you. I'm committed to you the rest of my life, but I also want to date some other girls on the side. But it will only be like one day out of seven. So you get me six days a week, I'll get... No, I don't think any woman in her right mind would say, yeah, I'll marry you. I'll sign up for that. That would be me putting myself at enmity with her. Even if I, even if I you know, try to reason my way out of it, sweetie, it's just one day out of seven. You get me for six. They get me for one. It's, you know, you, you, it's, it's in your favor. No, that's putting myself at enmity with her, and that's what we do with God. That's what we do with God. Sometimes it's things that God has strictly said, hey, you know, like, for example, uh, sexual boundaries. I want you to enjoy sex within these parameters, and we say, no, 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 I'm going to go the world's way. I'm going to chase after it the world's way. That's us being a friend of the world. And say, I love God, but I want to be a friend with the world too. Sometimes it's take, just taking a, a natural, uh, you know, like something like your career, and you elevate it too high. And we chase after it for our sense of worth and our sense of identity. Yes, God, I love you, but I also really love this right now. I'm a workaholic, or I'm a shopaholic, or I'm a video game addict, or I'm a foodaholic. And I, I need these things for comfort. I need these things to assuage my anxiety. God, I don't trust you fully for those things. That's having a divided heart. And James would say that's, that's being an adulterous people. And the solution to that, James says, let's look at it. Verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. The opposite of double-minded is pure heart. The opposite of pure heart is a double-minded heart. So when Jesus says, blessed are the, the pure in heart, for they will see God, he's saying those who are pure in heart, who have an undivided love for God, they're going to experience God's presence in a way that others do not. Not just on the day that Jesus returns for them, but along the way. We will experience God's presence when we will push aside the other distractions. And so what it calls us to, being pure in heart, what it calls us to die to is our need for distractions. Happy are those who are not needy for the world's distractions. They're the ones who understand how good God's presence actually is. They don't need to chase after the other things in life, other forms of escape, other forms of comfort, other forms of identity. They don't have to chase after those things. They can keep those things in their proper place. They don't, they're not needy for those things. Now, if you're here and you're thinking, well, that's me. I'm very distracted right now. 
I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm being pulled around. What I don't want you to feel is condemnation, number one. I don't want you to feel condemnation. It, it could be because you have yet to trust in Jesus. You don't belong to the kingdom of God yet. And God just might be showing you, hey, here's the good news. You get to be today. God offers lavish grace on, on all of us, just despite our past, despite what we're going through. And you can decide today, I'm going to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins so he can wash my heart pure. I'll be down here after service. would love to pray with you. We can talk about that. We've got a baptism coming up on May 1st, our next one. But if you're here and you're saying, oh, well, I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm still struggling with these distractions, what do I do? Well, I would go back to James. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will come near to you. See, here's the good news. God is committed to our growth. Jesus is committed to us as his, as his little brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. He's committed to us. But his spirit goes to work on us when we trust in him to mold us and shape us and purify us. And so our, our life is a journey of him purifying our hearts. And so on one hand, we can say, well, Jesus, praise you. You're going you're gonna to work on us. But on the other hand, we have a step to take. We, we, we have to do something about it. We have to submit ourselves to God, draw near to him, which means we push aside the other things we've been chasing. We say no to those things. We say, I'm going to toss this thing out because it's too tempting right now. Can I say something that is um, a little prejudice against a certain age demographic without getting emails tomorrow? <laughs> Maybe. It's about my generation and younger. My generation and younger has a tendency to embrace confession without repentance. In an age of care groups and recovery groups and support groups, my generation and younger have embraced the idea of sitting around and sharing our struggles with each other, but without wanting to do anything about it. Now, now, maybe older generations are, are the, the, kind of the opposite. I'll change. I don't need to talk to anybody about it. Let me just make you know, some changes on, on the outside. I don't have to talk about what's going on, on the inside. Again, I'm oversimplifying. Please don't send me emails tomorrow. Um, we can talk after service if you're bothered by this. But younger generations, what I've noticed, what I've noticed is I, we'll sit around. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about our struggles. We'll commiserate over our shared struggle. We'll form bonds with each other over our shared struggle. But the moment somebody says, so what are you going to do about it now? Oh, oh, you're getting legalistic on me. Don't, don't, don't tell me, you know, don't put so much pressure on me. We just want to sit and share with each other week after week after week, but not do anything about it. Not, 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 you know, Jesus said if your, your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. He was using hyperbole. Pluck it out. Your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. D go, go extreme. Submit yourself to God. Draw near to him. Push aside whatever the distractions are. Why? Because you'll be happier. You'll be happier. Because you see God, Jesus said. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. They will experience his presence in a deeper way if they're drawing near to him. But if they're just sitting back saying, well, I got this stronghold and I got this addiction, and, but if God wants me free from it, he'll just free me from it. And in the meantime, I'll just indulge and I'll just indulge and I'll just indulge. Like you won't see God in the way that you should. You won't experience his presence. So happy are those who are not needy for the world's distractions. They are the ones who, will under, who understand how good God's presence is. They get it. They get it. They'll be happier. Let's keep going. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. This has to do with those who value and fight for relationship and reconciliation. Reconciliation, first of all, between man and God. Right? We, we want to see people reconciled to God. We care about that. We care about that. And then also between man and man, between human beings. We're peacemakers. We are fighting for, uh, especially when there's a rift between ourselves and someone else. When there's a conflict, when there's tension, when there's offense, we will fight for reconciliation. We will go after, we will pursue that because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did for us. He didn't just look on us with a merciful heart of compassion. He came down and did something about it. He became the bridge between a holy God and a sinful humanity. He gave up what was fair to him in order to reconcile us back to God. And that's what peacemakers do. We follow in his footsteps and we die to our need to have everything be fair. The world says, life is fair and then you'll be happy. And so... Don't hang out with people who aren't, you know, as positive as you want them to be. And, and if you're going to call a friend three times and they don't call you back, then write them off. And we have to keep track of everything. Everything has to be fair. My, my, my kids, I'm, I'm so determined to f- break them of this expectation that life is going to be fair. The, the other day, that we had french fries at dinner. And our two youngest were counting how many fries they had to see if it was even. And because I'm so determined, I said, whoever gets the least amount of fries, if you complain, I will take more fries away. Because life will not be fair. And, and do I say that to make their life miserable? No, quite the opposite. You can be content without life being fair. If you're obsessed with life being fair, you are going to be a miserable person. It won't be. And you will have a lot of broken relationships because you'll always be keeping track You'll always be, well, I I invited her to my one-year-old's first birthday party, and she didn't invite me to her one-year-old's first birthday. How can I? I guess we're not friends. Or maybe they just want to keep it small, and you want to make it, but, like, relax, right? We keep track of everything. We keep records of wrongs. Peacemakers go, I don't care. I'm going to pursue this. I'm going to pursue this relationship. Peacemakers give the benefit of the doubt, in a world where we are taught and discipled, especially by the media, to ascribe the worst of motives to people when they do something we disagree with, that's our temptation when we belong to the world. We assume the worst. Uh, there's been times when I've talked to somebody, they, they, they know they need to reach out to someone else. Did you call them? I called them last week. Hey, why don't you try again? No, if they ain't going to call me back, then they clearly don't want a relationship with me, so I'm done. Or maybe they didn't get your voicemail. Or maybe they had a busy week and they were waiting for, you know, they had extended time to call you back and they wanted to give you attention. Maybe they had a family crisis. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Give them another try. But we're so quick to ascribe the worst of motives. Peacemakers don't do that. Peacemakers pursue. Peacemakers don't don't say, well, if I have this conversation with this person I'm in conflict with, it might not go well, so it's not worth it. Jesus said, no, you have the conversation, and if it doesn't go well, you try again, and you try again, and you get some other people to help you, and you don't give up. You don't give up. You don't give up. 
Jesus didn't give up on us. Jesus pursued us. Now, it doesn't mean that every relationship is going to end up all nice and dandy. In Romans 12, 18, it says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live with peace with everyone. As far as it depends on them, you can't control. But as far as it depends on you, is there anything left for you to do? Is there any step that you can still take? Is there anything that you can apologize for? Don't say, well, if they don't apologize to me, then I'm not going to apologize to them. That's what the world does. You don't belong to the world. You belong to Jesus. As far as it depends on you, is there any step that you can still take? Take it. Take it. Don't be so needy for life to be fair. It's exhausting. Happier are those who don't need life to be fair. They are free to enjoy, first of all, peace with God, and then a clear conscience with others. Even, if, even in the end, if it ain't, doesn't work out, I have a relationship that didn't, didn't work out. But my conscience could be clear saying, I think I did everything I could possibly do. I think I tried every possible way to have a conversation. My conscience can be clear. I don't feel a need to avoid somebody. You know, it's awkward when there's, some, when there's something unresolved and you, you know there's more that you can do so you see somebody coming and you pretend you don't see them. You pretend you're on the phone. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Because you, you, it's a little awkward. It's tension. But if you've, if you've done everything you can, then there's no need to feel that. You're free from that. There's more peace in that when we are peacemakers. Peacemakers also fight for the unity between others who, aren't, who are in tension with each other. We don't use the excuse that, well, it's not my business. Hey, if you care about both of them and they're, they're struggling, you sit them down. Hey, can we talk? Let's get you guys together. Help you guys see each other from each other's point of view. Yeah, you need to apologize for that. And I think you need to forgive so-and-so for that. We're peacemakers. We fight for unity. We fight for unity. Yeah. Happier are those who don't need life to be fair. They're free to enjoy peace with God and a clear conscience with others. Lastly, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness because theirs is the kingdom of God. Persecuted has to do with people coming against us, slandering us, hurting us, falsely accusing us, taking away our jobs, and killing us for righteousness. Now, Killing us might sound extreme because we live in an, uh, a, a country where um, we have been the exception to the norm, but the norm is being killed for righteousness. Since Jesus died and rose again, that has been the norm. And Jesus is, is setting up expectations for his followers. You, you, you're going to be persecuted for righteousness and in case his original listeners thought well maybe he's just speaking in general terms because up until verse 10 it's the, the pronouns are those and they blessed are those for they blessed are those for they blessed are those so in case they're like well those people might be persecuted i don't know about me jesus changes the pronoun in verse 11 and he says blessed are you when people insult you persecute you Falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They're like, oh, so we are going to get persecuted if we're following Jesus. And Jesus said, like, yeah, you will. And great is your reward in heaven, so rejoice in it. He doesn't even say, I feel sorry for you. Rejoice. 
You're, you're numbered among the prophets. And then they're going to see Jesus go and get persecuted in the ultimate way for the ultimate righteousness. Setting up the expectation that to follow our Savior, it, it, it's going to lead us into some trouble. Some people are going to come against us. As much as we try to be peacemakers, as much as we try to have merciful hearts towards others, at some point they're going to come against us because we are fighting for righteousness. And, and, and this being, this being the, the kingdom of God, this, this, being, this being making Jesus known as the Savior who died for us. Not everybody's going to like that. They're going to come against you. Living for his kingdom, not everybody's going to like that. They're going to come against you. So it doesn't mean when you get fired at your job for being a jerk or a lazy worker, you don't get to say that that's persecution for righteousness just because you happen to be a Christian at the same time. You don't get to say, oh, persecution in this country, I can't believe it. No, you were just a jerk at your job and you should have been fired. Right? When you say something on social media about why gas prices are so high and somebody else disagrees with that, you don't get to say, I'm being persecuted for righteousness. You can do that if you want. Just put it in a whole different category, okay? Jesus said when you're persecuted for righteousness, that means living for Jesus, his kingdom, making him known, there's going to be people who come against you. And instead of retaliating, instead of feeling sorry for yourself, what does he say? This is the first command in this whole passage. In all 12 verses, there has been no commands. He doesn't tell us to do anything. The first command is rejoice. Rejoice and be glad. That's the command. Rejoice and be glad, he says. How can we rejoice and be glad? Because great is your reward in heaven. They persecuted the prophets. What it means when persecution comes against you for righteousness, for the kingdom of Jesus, what it means is that you belong to Jesus. And it reminds you that you belong to Jesus. And it strengthens your faith in Jesus. It deepens your roots in Jesus. It strips away all the false identities that tend to distract you. And it goes, and it makes everything more clear. The Apostle Paul said, let me come back to that one, in Romans 8, 17, if we are children, then we are should be heirs. That's my fault. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed, if indeed, look at that. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we will also share in his glory. There's a connection between sharing in the glory of the kingdom of God and suffering. Best analogy I can think of, I've used this number of times, but when I used to play high school football, when I was tackled and I would end the game with grass stains all over me and, and bruises and, and I would wake up Saturday morning after the game sore, it was a reminder that I get to be part of this team. I get to be part of, of this, 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 this mission with these other guys. It strengthened my bond with them when I had these bruises and these sores and these, these grass stains. It reminded me that, yes, I get to play on this team. And the worst thing, the most miserable mornings, I remember, was three, son, or three games in a row where I was suspended during high school and I couldn't play. And I would wake up the next morning, Saturday morning, no soreness, no grass stains on the uniform. Didn't have to have my mom wash the uniform. That was miserable because I was like, oh, I should have been out on the field and I wasn't. And Jesus is like, when you're persecuted, it's a chance to rejoice because you're like, yes, I'm, I'm in it with my Savior. That's right. I'm living for the ultimate purpose. That's right. It's, it strips away everything else that we tend to put our hope in, and it strengthens our hope in God. So Jesus says, rejoice. Oh, 
Don't feel sorry for yourself. Rejoice. And what it frees us from is self-preservation. Happy are those who can rejoice in persecution, even unto death. Because it might come in our country. Even unto death. Because they have been set free from self-preservation. We are naturally wired to preserve our reputations, to preserve our security, to preserve our life. That's natural. But when we belong to the kingdom of God and his grace is working in us, when persecution comes, we can say, oh, I don't even need to fight for self-preservation. I've been freed from that too. The apostle Paul, we look at him. He was in prison and he could say, to live is Christ. If I live, I'm living for Christ. I'm making him known. If I die, it's gain. Win-win. Win-win. That's freedom. Win-win. He's sharing the gospel with prison guards. Nothing could stop him because self-preservation was something he had been freed from. He was no longer needy for self-preservation. And when we've been freed from that neediness, ah, we're free indeed. So blessed are those who've been freed from that. So those are the four beatitudes that Jesus ends this with. And, And to summarize it, the summary statement would be those Happy are those who are free to love, to love God and to love others because they're not so dang needy. They don't need their rights. They don't need things to be fair. They don't need all the other distractions of the world. They don't even need to preserve their very lives. They've been free. They've been free. So here's what we're going to do. This is the last week of Lent this, this week. This is, a, this is Passion Week. We are beginning Passion Week. We are beginning the last week of Lent. We are moving towards Good Friday. We're preparing our hearts for our Good Friday service here. My hope is that we could be a happy church. A church that grows in our happiness. Happy in the Lord. Happy in Jesus. We grow in that joy. And as we grow in that joy, it calls us to die to all these other false needs. And so what I want to invite you to do is to join us in praying for our church on Thursday and or Friday of of this week. My men's life group that I co-lead with Frank Martinez, I don't know where he went, um, we've been specific prayer points out in an email to our whole church so that you can be praying for those things. Um, but, but I want to encourage you, like this is a, just, we don't want to just preach things, right? We don't want to be, just preach things and leave it there and, you know, we want to lean in and pray for our church. I want this more for Michael and Jeannie. I want this more for Justin. I want Justin to want this more for me. So let's be praying for e- e- each other. And ho- listen, fasting is not, it's not a way to punish ourselves. <laughs> it's a way to humble ourselves. It's not a way to earn anything from God. It's a way to express our dependence on God. God, as much as I need, I want food right now, as much as I need food right now, what I really need is you to help me put to death this neediness that I have for my rights, this neediness that I have for things to be fair. Help me put to death my need to control things here. Because I I want more joy. I want to live out this life that you've purchased for me. So at any point, Ben, why don't you come on down? At any point while we are singing or on your way out, you can grab those cards.